Hey, 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 everybody, live today on your backup plan podcast and live stream on YouTube and Facebook. Welcome, welcome your backup plan tribe. I'm so happy to be here today with you guys. Um, my name is Tina Ginn. If you haven't met me yet, I'm an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author, a financial expert, and an app developer of Your Backup Plan app. And I'm located here in Vancouver, beautiful BC, Canada. And I just wanted to get to see everybody today. Um, it's such an exciting month that we have coming up with all of our interviews. I interview real life people each and every week with their real life stories and uh, on our podcast as well as our live YouTube channels as well. Be sure to hit that like or subscribe button down here in the corner. I got it right this time, not over here, but over here. Make sure you hit on that subscribe button and click on that bell so you get notified for any um, upcoming videos or live streams. Your backup plan app puts your life in one place in preparation of any unpredictable circumstance while taking the painful aftermath out of any tragedy. And that's what we're all about here at our uh, live channel and our podcast um, is helping you survive those storms. Um, because believe it or not, you are going to have one or many throughout your life of storms. And we need to know how to cover those risks. And that's what we do here. So that gives us a chance to meet our wonderful guest today. Betsy is such a prominent person in the Alzheimer's dementia world. And she has her own podcast called Chatting with Betsy. And I'd like to introduce Betsy with um, such, such dear to my heart because she's been through so much and she has so much to tell us. Hi, Betsy. Hi, Tina. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. So Betsy Wurzel Sloan, she's known as Betsy Wurzel on, on Facebook. She's the creator uh, and founder of hashtag kick Alzheimer's ass movement. So if you would like to go check that out, um, I will have the links down below for you guys. So I'm so excited, Betsy, to talk about this crazy topic, especially now. Um, you know, everything is emphasized during COVID and we're not through through the forest yet with this. Um, we are again in Vancouver now, we are again in lockdown until the end of April. Um, we've had a spike of new COVID cases. Um, so we're back to square one again. Um, the restaurants are closed, the bars are closed, um, the stores are still open, but um, yeah, so I'm not sure what it's like. Betsy comes to us today from New Jersey. So welcome, Betsy. Welcome. 
Thank you, Tina. I really appreciate being on here. Here in New Jersey, they are expanding the capacity of indoor dining, uh, sports arena, thinking about opening up uh, theaters in Manhattan, um, kind of leery. I myself do go to the movies, but it's pretty empty. So I feel safe. I, I still do not like being people right on top of me. I'm like, you know, go away. <laughs> yeah. I'll walk away. <laughs> so you have so many tips and tricks for us today, Betsy. Do you want to um, tell us about you, what your journey has been? Sure. My husband, Matt, I'll show his picture like I always do. Can you see that? Yep. Uh, to my beloved. Uh, Matt was diagnosed at the age of 56 with early onset Alzheimer's. And right after Matt was diagnosed, I took Matt to the lawyer. I had power of attorney done, living will. Um, power of, uh, the will's updated. No. Yeah. I can't stress this enough, Tina. You know, especially like my mom's generation and a lot of women think, oh, I'm taking power away from my husband. Let me just emphasize, you are not taking anything away from anybody. I tell people, you having that power of attorney is like having money in the bank. You will have it there when you need it. My husband participated in making decisions till he no longer could. You need financial power of attorney because when you deal with Medicaid, Medicare, pensions, life insurance, they will medical, uh, Medicare, they will not talk to you unless you have that power of attorney. Right. So it's very important to have that or they're not going to tell you anything, especially doctor's offices. Excuse me. <coughs> very important. To and I and I want to stress, Betsy, what you're saying isn't based on having the, those documents for those that you love around you as well as yourself, but also it doesn't matter what color of skin you have, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter how old you are, it doesn't matter what gender you are. Um, anytime after age 19 you should be getting your crap together, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, Gina. I say, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're an adult, legal adult, that might vary state to state or country to country, um, I highly recommend at 18 that if that's legal age and where you are, you go to a lawyer, you get power of attorney, you get your medical directive, uh, financial, it could always be changed, but you need to have it because God forbid you're in an accident who has power of attorney to decide what your end of life wishes are. Now, people, you know, Tina, they don't want to talk about end of life. That's like taboo. But guess what? <laughs> Death is a part of life, people. And I'm a Jersey girl, so I'm blunt <laughs> and straightforward. <laughs> and... Uh, and not my father's daughter, but you need to have it because 
it's important. Now, my son is 36. I just took him uh, this past summer for his power of attorney and end of life wishes. And I discussed this. My son is healthy. But you know what, folks? We never know what's going to come down the pike. You don't know what's going to happen. And I'd like to share about my brother's story, if I may, Tina. My brother sure. died in January, January 9th. My brother was 67. He went into hospital. He did not have COVID. He went in for one thing. Something else was wrong with him. And he ended up dying. Thankfully, this past summer, last summer, he went for his power of attorney and um, a living will. He didn't pre-plan pre his funeral, but at least he had that done. So that my younger brother could, uh, um, you know, act on his behalf and in getting information. This is so important that, you know, again, yeah, do I sound redundant all the time? I do because it's so, it's just so important. I think in my own life, Tina, my son is 36, he has special needs. What's going to happen to him when I die? God forbid I get in a car accident. Who's going to do my bills? Who's going to take care of Josh? These are the things, <coughs> excuse me, that I think of. And I had to get my act together. Uh, if you have young children, you definitely need to assign a person to be guardian. Um, if you die, who's going to have your children? Are these pleasant things to think about? No, but it's a fact of life. We have to think about it. You know, you no know, one is and even if we don't die, what <laughs> if we're incapable? What if we're unable to have our life like we knew it back? Mm -hmm. What, you know, there's many different diseases and accidents and things that can change in the blink of an eye to change your life from you know, maybe no legs or no arms to diseases to not being able to talk or see or things that change your life where you all of a sudden need some sort of help, support or guidance. And that's where I see with your story going from your husband to your son. Um, let Tell us a little bit about caregiving for your husband what that was like <laughs> that was that was very challenging I did previously take care of my mother-in-law uh, for five years I had an intuition that Matt was going to get Alzheimer's early for some reason I didn't know at that time that you could get it young and it was like unreal that he had it at 56 when I looked back he probably started symptoms at age 54 and the doctors didn't want to say wow. he had it because he was young, but he was having trouble at work and work uh, actually called me in. I'm um, at disability hearing. That was very unusual, uh, special circumstance. And I was flabbergasted. I just flabbergasted. Um, Matt didn't tell me anything about going on. I mean, I noticed things at home. His co-worker co told me a little bit, but not everything going on at work. They weren't allowed to because of the HIPAA laws. 
here in the U.S. Um, just flabbergasted, fighting with the neurologist to get a proper diagnosis. He was misdiagnosed yeah. with depression, which it, it wasn't. And I have to say right here, Tina, caregivers, and even if you're not a caregiver, you must be an advocate. You have to fight, do it nice, do but be firm, do your research, know what you're talking about. And if something's not right, and if your gut is telling you it's not right, then it's not right. Don't ever be afraid to question a doctor. Um, I did it all the time. <laughs> they just, uh, <laughs> that was what you call a PIA. Um, but I had to fight. And I fought for my husband, unfortunately, even at his end of life, because I was not listened to. I went with the hospice that my husband's doctor recommended, came, came out of our local hospital. And I had the home hospice from hell experience. They didn't believe me that Matt was at the end of life. They didn't believe me that Matt was agitated, that the medicine wasn't working. And they picked the wrong person to, <laughs> to uh, deal with. Um, I had to put a couple of people in their place. And I have no problem doing that. Five so, they were, <laughs> so they were all they were all like, oh, God, here comes Betsy. Um, it was, my husband fell twice and hospice would not come out. The first time I, you know, kind of let it go. But then it was a couple of days later. I mean, my husband, my husband was hallucinating, severely agitated because they get that way when they're dying. And I told the home hospice nurse, Matt is at the end of life. He's dying. Oh, no, he's not. He's walking. He's talking. He's eating. I said, I'm telling you, he's at the end of life. <laughs> I told the, the nurse, think outside your textbook and educate yourself because not everybody fits a textbook picture. So, you know, you don't want to cross me, but you definitely would want me as your advocate. <laughs> um <laughs> Because I, I'm not going to take any crap. I'm not going to be disrespected and definitely do not respect my loved one. The social worker from the hospice came to my house to question me how I was giving the medicine. Like it was my fault that Matt was agitated. And I didn't like how she was talking to me. And I told her, do not talk to me that way. I'm not stupid. I know how to give medication. I worked as a nurse. And she was like, Oh, I, I'm not talking to you like that. And I said, well, to me, you are. And it needs to stop. I said, if I tell you my husband is agitated, you need to listen. If I tell you the medication's not working, why are you giving more of the same? Yeah. It, it's, it's ridiculous. So it got to the point the second time my husband fell out of bed. Uh, well, I had called up a hospice the night before to complain. And they told me what to give him. He fell out of bed that Sunday morning. I called up and I said, Matt fell out of bed. Is anyone going to come see him? I don't know, said the nurse. I said, you don't know? Okay. Well, let me tell you. I'm going to call you up every minute till you do know what you're doing. And in between calling you and calling up Medicare 
at Columbia Director because I'm not happy. I'm my husband's advocate. This is unacceptable. Unacceptable. And I had a meeting with the director of hospice and I told her, this is not acceptable. And she said, she said, I'm sorry, uh, Mrs. Sloan. Uh, apparently somebody dropped the ball. And I went, well, my husband's not a ball. You wouldn't accept it. I know you wouldn't. I know how nurses are. And nobody on this floor would accept treatment like that. Why do you expect me to accept it? It's not. I had people coming into my room to see who I was. <laughs> my husband's room to see who I was. Who's <laughs> this little big mouth? <laughs> but I, I just, and I called that social worker. I said, you need to listen to the caregiver. If I tell you my husband's having a headache, which I told her, don't tell me he's not having one. How do you know what a dying brain feels like? My husband doesn't complain. He didn't complain. If he complains, then I believe him. And I don't like that attitude, Tina, that people with, you know, they think people with dementia don't feel pain. They think people with physical or mental disabilities don't feel pain. They do feel pain. They're human beings. And this is, you know, why we had to speak up. And I told a social worker, I said, I'm telling my people. And my group, Kick Alzheimer's Ass Movement, don't take this crap. Speak up. You have to speak up. And I do. And when my dad was in the facility, I spoke up, much to my mother's embarrassment. But (laughs) like I said, I just never knew I had this advocacy in me. (laughs) I never knew I I had this. Alzheimer's took away from me, Tina, but Alzheimer's gave me so much. Um, my voice, my power, my gifts. And Your that strength. I want to help. Yes, that I want to help people. They can survive caregiving, but it's a mindset. It's a heart set, too. You know, you. Well, it's hard be- because it's hard enough. But then when you run up against these obstacles of these nurses, not against nurses, but when you run against these different obstacles, it's difficult. Your job has just become even more difficult, which is already difficult. So, yeah, it's it's not an easy journey, that's for sure. How long did your husband, from the time of 56 to, to when you put him in a hospice, how long was that? Ten years. Wow. Um, 10 years. I'm very grateful that Matt progressed slowly until 2018. 2019 is when he really, um, his progression sped up. And by the time I put Matt on hospice, he was declining. And I believe, this is my own opinion, that the drugs that they have for uh, hallucinations, an agitation for an Alzheimer's person does not work as effectively as someone who has just uh, psychiatric issues. And I feel that those medications made him worse. I wish medical marijuana was easily uh, accessible or legal marijuana, because yes, I would rather have mad had marijuana than those evil drugs. 
uh, and see how they worked. And New Jersey is supposed to legalize marijuana, but it's going to be a long way. <laughs> oh, well, it's in so many states now. Like, it's surprising how many aren't. Uh, medical marijuana is available, but Matt was not able to, you know, answer the questions. And it is expensive. Um, the doctor, and you have to pay cash because insurance doesn't pay it, is to like 150 to 200. The marijuana card is 100 to 150. And then whatever your doctor prescribes, uh, it could be 40, it could be $80. My coworker, when I worked, her husband was in medical marijuana. And I said, Crystal, no more $5 bags like in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> Back. <laughs> Go back in time. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow. Um, <laughs> so I'm a how different time. <laughs> how time change, huh? Yeah. So, uh, but I would have definitely would have tried that with Matt. I think they should use that on people because, Tina, the thing is, these medications. And this is where the caregiver must be educated. And I push education. They're black boxed for people over 65. Matt was 60, over 65. I said to neurologists, you know, these medications are black boxed. Then Matt is 65 and then he was 66. He said, I know that's the only thing available. Oh. I hope they come out with better medications. I hope they come out with a cure. I hope they work on a cure just as fast as they worked on a COVID vaccine. We need, you know, um, help. Yeah. Uh, Alzheimer's, uh, not just Alzheimer's, all dementias. And let me just say this, folks. Don't sit in your ivory tower thinking it can't happen to you. It's not your family. Because I call dementia the equal opportunity destroyer. Doesn't care who you are, what you are, what you make, your color, your skin, what sex you prefer, doesn't matter. There's very intelligent people who have had yeah. Alzheimer's or some other dementia. You, if you have a brain, you're not immune. So I was surprised it can anyone. The, I was surprised at the <coughs> hospice um, and the Alzheimer's, um, one of the facilities that I went to visit was surprisingly, of course, majority are female than male. The other issues were that in this specific uh, complex, that the majority of female Alzheimer and dementia patients were nurses, previous nurses. Wow. The males seemed to have high-end jobs. They were bankers, financial experts, um, people that used their minds. And so there's mm -hmm. different types of patients. There's ones that are quiet. There's ones that keep walking. There's ones that want to get out of the building. Um, of course, when it comes to the hospice time, they're a lot more gentle and quiet usually than the um, caregiving um, facility beforehand. In Canada, we have two types of 
facilities. Well, three. We have um, a facility that looks after people that need a little bit of assistance. Then we have a division that where you need 100% support. And then we have the facility of the hospice. So there's actually three different types. I don't know what it's like in United States. There's different um, sections. You know, they have the memory care unit. You could be in assisted living, memory care, uh, when you need more specialized. And uh, you could have hospice in those uh, facilities. Um, it's, but thankfully, I didn't have to place Matt uh, until he had to go to the hospital uh, hospice unit. I think that um, if he would have survived that, I would have had to place him in. Tina, a lot of people, you know, we, we talked about I have a plan A and a plan B. I'm um, in a lot of caregiving groups. There's a lot of caregivers that say, I promised my husband, I promised my mom or dad or whoever, I will not place them. Folks, you may not like to hear this, no one has a crystal ball. You can't make a promise like that. It might be broken. I told my husband, I will take care of you at home as long as I possibly can, as long as it's safe for you and for me and Josh. Right. If you need more care than I can give you, then I will have to place you. And then, of course, he told me he would kill himself. Um, but, of course... That didn't happen. <laughs> what I did promise Matt, ironically, I said to him, what I will promise you, Matt, is that some way, somehow, I'm going to tell your story to the world. That's what I promised him. And it came true. Thanks there you go. Jeannie. Yes. <laughs> I got to give a shout out to Jeannie White, my station manager at Passion World Talk Radio Network who I say discovered me because she saw one of my videos that I did in my car and That's interviewed amazing. me. Well, you know, it touches so many of our lives and our hearts. I have people that reach out to me with caregiving questions and issues every day, every single day where they're lost. They don't know mm -hmm. what to do. And part of that problem is because you haven't prepared beforehand. You haven't thought what if those big two questions, those two words, what if, because we don't want to see ourselves as not Superman. We don't want to see ourselves as not being able to do well in any situation. But let's face it, we don't know what's going to hit us. We don't know what's turning the corner tomorrow. We don't know how it's going to shift our lives. I have a dear friend whose husband got Alzheimer's in the age of 50 as well. And it was a life-changing event because she also had young children. So you have a whole other scenario that you're trying to live out your life to be you, to look after your husband or your spouse and look after your kids. 
and the house. Yes, and perhaps and even your job, whatever yes. that looks like. Yes, that's a, that is a show unto itself, Tina, because this is where um, I'm a baby boomer. I'm 63. Women statistically make less money anyway than, than men, especially my generation and, yeah. and older. And we leave our jobs, you know, from maybe for a while for child um, care uh, and raising children. You're having well, people like myself. Well, I was able to work, thankfully, because of Josh. But there's women who are leaving their jobs, take care of their husband or their parents. Yeah. And their high income, where they would have made their most income, they are leaving their job. And then they're going to risk poverty later on. And this is a, a fact, folks. I, I think you're going to see a lot of situations of people uh, rooming together, like a Golden Girls type situation where people, you know, just pull their money in together and, and uh, live somewhere. You have, a, like my husband, 56, stopped working in the prime of his life. He lost 10 years of work. That. You know, you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, thankfully, I was able to continue working. Some people can't. And that's a, a huge problem. And my hat goes off in my heart to people who have young children. Uh, Josh was already 25 when his dad was uh, diagnosed. He was a teenager with his grandma. But to have young children... It's tough. It has to be very, very difficult for young yeah. children to see their parents or grandparents change. It's devastating, really. Because um, they're not the same person. Right. Absolutely. And how do you have a child understand that when you can't even understand it? Really? That's true. Very true. My son was home one time when my mother-in-law came after me <laughs> uh, because they didn't believe me that my mother-in-law would come after me when they weren't home because we lived with her. And he's like, why is grandma coming after you? Why is she doing that? And I had to explain to him as best as I could yeah. that Alzheimer's is like a big giant eraser. You know how you erase words, you know, you use a pencil and it's erasing grandma's memories and her um, cognitive, you know, her thinking, her skills. She doesn't realize she's coming after me. She doesn't realize what she's doing. Right. Which is the best way I could put it. Um, I love I'm, that. Oh, thank you. <coughs> I, it's a great way, Tina. You know, we have choices in life. I think us as parents can teach our children life lessons, compassion, empathy yeah. in dealing with someone who has a dementia. My son is very compassionate. He was very good with his dad and his grandma. Uh, he had more patience than I did um, sometimes. Very compassionate, very loving person, uh, Joshua is. And I'm, I'm very proud of him. And we, or we can teach them 
oh, that's terrible. That's awful. You know, ignore them. Yeah. You know, it, we set the, the standard, like we set the example. And I warned Josh ahead of time, your father might come to a time where he doesn't know you. Please don't take it personal. He loves you. Remember, he loves you. He will always love you, but he can't control what's happening to him. And humor, folks, develop a dark, twisted sense of humor. Let me tell you, <laughs> Matt never cursed. My husband was a deacon, a Sunday school teacher. When he came out with the F-bomb, oh. we laughed so hard. We laughed. And as Matt progressed, he would either call us names, give you F and blank, and then he would say, you're the best. Thank you for helping me. So you have to really let it just, you know, run off your back. You know, you can't really take it personal. Um, you have to find the humor in the changes. <clears throat> yeah. That's yeah. so funny how it's so drastic from a Sunday school teacher to the F words. That, yeah. that has to be the funniest thing ever. <laughs> no, it was the first time Matt dropped the F-bomb we were in a department store and Josh comes over running he's laughing so hard he's got tears <laughs> I said what happened he goes daddy dropped the F-bomb he dropped the F-bomb I said he did <laughs> and I said Matt did you drop the F-bomb he goes yeah it's a cluster F in here I cracked oh. up we were like we just cracked up laughing because what can you do it, I thought it was hysterical. So we just started cursing. So Matt wouldn't curse alone. <laughs> it was. Um, oh it was gosh. Funny. I mean, what can you what can you do? Uh, he doesn't know. And I told Josh, you know, your dad would be mortified if he knew what he was saying to us. <laughs> um, I mean, in a matter of seconds. He could change. Oh, you're the best. I love you. And then we're effing, you know what? And we don't do anything. We're no good. So you really uh, have to teach your children that you're, you know, that's dad, but that's not dad or their mom or whoever it is. It's they have a disease that's affecting their brain and it has nothing to do with them. That's what they have to realize. It's no reflection on them what right. this person is doing because they can't help it because, you know, their brain is sick. Their brain is actually dying. Um, that must be it, such it, a shock, though, for living with a father that never said any of those words. And then all of a sudden. So you'd have to find the humor in that. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. You, you, you know, you have to or you're going to go uh, crazy. And Tina, I can't emphasize enough, caregivers need to educate themselves. There's no reason not to in this information highway. When I started with my mother-in-law 21 years ago, there was an internet highway. There was hardly any, any information, really. I didn't know sundowning. I didn't know hallucinations. When Matt hallucinated, had sundowning, I was prepared. We as caregivers learn from other caregivers. Doctor didn't teach me anything. I learned on my own. And even um, with Matt, I joined Facebook 2014, and that's when I started to really learn. 
about um, what to do, hints from other caregivers. So I believe as a veteran caregiver, it's my responsibility to help what I call the newbies coming along. Uh, there is so much um, information. There's webinars now that, you know, with COVID, people can't do their seminars in person. There's tons of webinars. Tipa Snow does it. The Dementia Spotlight Foundation. These are for free. Um, and I know other people who, who do it. Go to a seminar. Go uh, online. Um, check out these places. Join my group. In my group, people post links for education. You talked about women, um, Tina, and uh, having you know a lot of women patients. Women, for some reason, are more prone to Alzheimer's after menopause, and for some reason, theirs progresses faster. Why? Uh, who knows? But. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's really, you have to educate yourself. I educated myself. I know no one spoon fed me. You as a caregiver must educate yourself. And before you take the role of caregiving on, attend a webinar. Research what is a caregiver? What do you do? It's 24-7. Can you handle it? And if you can't, it's okay. It's okay to yeah. say to me. How long can you handle it for? That's exactly. the big question. Yes, that's exactly. And that's where you have to have your plan, Tina, right? I would start um, looking. We looked into homes for my mother-in-law. My husband didn't want to before. I wanted to. He didn't. Start looking at places. Get to know places. I know it's hard with COVID. You can't yeah. do an in-person tour. You might be able to do a virtual tour. Have a plan. Where What's going to happen to your loved one should something happen to you? What are you going to do? I thought about that when Matt was alive. What am I going to do if something happens to me? Um, I didn't have that plan. I figured, oh, they'll come to the hospital with me. And then they would have to do something. <laughs> I had a friend, you know, they can't refuse them. I had a friend call me yesterday that she is sick. Uh, she has health issues. Her husband has dementia. And she was upset that she can't care for him. I said, that's okay. Think about respite. Think about, you know, placement. Yes, it's expensive. It's very expensive here in America. Uh, and I said, well, worse comes to worse. And the doctor says you have to have immediate surgery. Bring your husband to a hospital. What are they going to do? Uh, with my mother-in-law, we took her to the hospital because she had uh, declined so quickly. And then from there, she was placed in a county facility. Uh, by county, I mean it was run by the county, Middlesex mm -hmm. County here in New Jersey, uh, where I, I live. And, you know, it, it's not easy to place somebody. It's not a decision people take lightly. No. You know, um, I have seen in many groups, caregivers jumping down the throats of other caregivers for placing somebody. Don't judge. You don't walk in that person's shoes. Don't you dare judge. We all have our limitations. And it's but okay. I, and I find that 
for family members or, or friends around you as well, all judging and all thinking that they know the best way and the new way. And, you know, it's not that way. It's not that way when you're put in that person's shoes 24 seven, they have to make their decisions for themselves and the best for the person that they're caregiving for. But I don't understand how people can look from the outside in thinking they know all the answers. That's true. And sometimes it comes down to money. Oh, I don't want my inheritance going to the home. Well, too bad, sweetheart. We don't owe you anything. <laughs> That's what I would say. <laughs> uh, um, I, you know, I can't wrap my head around a child, an adult child, telling their parent, don't place them because of my inheritance. I mean, that's, that would just, well, no, I would have to give my son a reading because I wouldn't be able to take it. Um, but my son isn't like that because I didn't raise him that way. And I'm certainly not like that. When my dad, my dad had dementia. He fell, fractured his hip, he went for rehab. I told my mom about placing my dad afterwards. She wanted to bring him home to see if she could take care of him. I had to realize that she had to do that to relieve the unjustified guilt. And I was considered the bully because I talked about placement. I told my mother what would happen with my dad at home because I lived it. I right. encouraged my mom to put my dad in a placement. And my sister, my brothers, um, we encouraged my mom you know, if you can't handle it, fine. Put that in a placement. We encouraged her. This is what children should do for their parents. You see your parents struggling taking care of uh, the other parent. Either offer to help them or help them with placement or keep your mouth shut. But don't you dare as an adult grown child think, your parent owes you something and that that person can't be placed because you know what I didn't want to lose my mother taking care of my dad my dad was yeah. uh, a big guy you know and my mother couldn't take care of him and I knew that we knew that so you know really I, I would tell people um and take care of him but or she, her still, yourself. she yeah. still thinks she can look after him though right she still thinks she, thought, she can. Yeah. Yeah. She thought she could. Yeah. Um, thankfully, uh, I, you know, didn't have to deal with a children like that or stepchildren, but then you have, you know, people who have stepchildren and that problem, you know what? Like I said, I'm from New Jersey. I would just say, listen, I'm doing the best I can. If you think you could take care of your father better, I'll have him packed up and at your doorstep tomorrow. <laughs> and then let me see what kind of thing you do. That's what I would do. <laughs> I love your feisty. <laughs> I am feisty. <laughs> um, I, I guess I'm, just, I'm a, a petite person, but I have a big mouth. That's <laughs> well, I'm a teacher in high school. He said, you're short on stature, but big on volume. <laughs> <laughs> you, pr you 
probably have a huge heart. So you're very passionate about getting it right and, and the purpose and what's right. So. Right. That's right. exactly. I'm very passionate about, you know, caregiving and for caregivers and, you know, to be advocates and, you know, we had to set boundaries, even with family members. If they're toxic, you know, set boundaries for your own mental health. And then, you know, oh. self-care, Tina, that's a big one, too. You need to do self-care to survive this journey so you could enjoy the other side. And people do have a right to enjoy life after caregiving. Whatever they want to do. They want to date again. That's not for you to judge. You don't know what they went through watching their spouse for so many years uh, suffering. Um, people that they you know want to get remarried again, that's their that's their choice of what to do. They want to travel. I say, listen, whatever you wanted to do and you couldn't do it before, do it now if you can. Because you have to be happy. <coughs> that's right. Whatever makes you happy. Um, the other thing I, I, well, it brings back to your story too. I had a friend that I had met um, at age 60 and her husband had gotten Alzheimer's as well. And when that occurred and he of course became very ill rapidly, um, she felt that she had to make a decision and she said it took her a year to make the decision because marriage is for best worst scenarios. You know, when you stand at the altar, you say for worst and the best of, of things, uh, your best health, your worst health, I'll stand by your side. But she had to make a decision about what her life was going to be like. And that's where, you know, your religion comes into play and your culture comes into play and what people are going to think around you is going to come into play. And she said she made the decision to put him in care facility and move on with her life and actually divorce him because in some countries um, you to be able to get more of an income or not lose your income because otherwise the government may take it to look after him. So right. if you're a single yeah. person, you can keep your income and he keeps his income and it's only based on what he has. So she had to divorce him and then put him in a home and then move on with her life. How hard do you think that would be? For anybody out there, please remember that it's their life. And she said, I had to dig deep into my soul to decide that I am 60 and I have a lot of life left in me to live it and not be a nurse, not be, uh, not be an emotional or physical um wife anymore to somebody because it it makes a huge difference when you can't have that husband as what you knew it as what you knew your relationship as someone you can trust someone you can be 
best friends with, someone you can discuss the most inner deep secrets with, someone you can be physically or sexually uh, part of. And when that ends, it really ends for your life because now you go into this grief of losing that person. And it's hard to move on when you are in that. So she made a pertinent decision to move on and live her life, um, but still go and visit him at the hospital. So you can imagine how difficult yeah. those, that type of decision would be, but I can understand it at the same time. It's not for everybody, um, but right. it's definitely definitely an issue here in the state Tina I know two people who divorce their spouses they sold them they divorce them to protect their assets because they're in America to put someone in a home to go on Medicaid you have to go down like below 2000 in your assets and it shouldn't be that way um and that's a whole nother thing of the united states medical health care system is broken spouse to protect what they work so hard i know people who have had um affairs or they have, you know, in with them or, or you know, I'm not, you know, promoting that. I myself could not do that, but I understand why somebody would do that. But, you know, it's not for me to judge them. I don't, I'm not, and we all have a right to choose. And, you know, just people think it's wrong because, you know, people create that human touch and that human contact. Oh, we lost her. She'll come back on. Here she is. We lost her internet connection. Here she yes. is. There we go. That's there. better. My phone dropped. My battery Drop flows. I have it plugged in. Oh, well, there you go. It works better now. Um, there she But, you know, I, I say, you know, to each his own. I did a show probably almost two years ago about relationships outside of marriage. Um, I get it. I, I get why people would. Um, it's not something that I particularly would have done. I didn't even have the energy or the time, to be honest with you. time, <laughs> But um, I, I know myself, I'm not ready to date. So I have no, really no interest. Um, I definitely will not get remarried again. That's for sure. Um, not get remarried. Eventually, maybe I would date and consider a relationship, but uh, I know I'm not ready. And it wouldn't be fair to somebody if I know I'm not ready. And it would have to take a really special person. 
Well, that's it. But you never can say never when the right person comes around and, you know, and you have need the friendship and they need the friendship. It seems to always work in the right way when, when it's meant to be. And you don't have to go out looking for it. It just falls into your lap, so to speak. Yeah. I was never good at dating when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> but to let you all guys know out there, I took a transformational course. I know what I want, what I don't want. So I'm good to go. <laughs> You're ready. <laughs> uh, I learned and about dating. I think it, I wish I knew this stuff 40 something years ago. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. But I know it now in case I should date again. I know the information yeah. now. So watch out, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> you have your ammunition beside you now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, what? Did your husband get ain't like there's different types of of this disease where um your husband was swearing, but did he get angry? Sometimes they get really angry and they're hard to deal with. Was he that kind of no, I was we were really very, very fortunate. Matt was uh and our personality change changes like my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is a quiet, sweet woman and turned into a monster with Alzheimer's. Matt kept his humor, and I'm so glad. He did have his little outburst, but that was near the end. That was near the end of, of his life. He was basically very laid back. Um, I broke my heart sometimes to see him cry. And I would say, Matt, why are you crying? And he goes, I hate the way I am. I'm useless. I can't do anything. Yeah. And I hugged him and I told him we love him and that it's our, you know, honor to take care of him. We are here to take care of him and that we love him. And he goes, are you sure? And I said, I'm sure. And of course I started to cry. Um, very heartbreaking when they know. When they know that's it, that, you yeah. know, you think, I, I think they know, I think how frustrating it is. After having a head injury, I realized how frustrating it is to always be combating your own self in your own head because you know that you know the what you knew before, and mm -hmm. it's hard to access that information sometimes in your head. And when that starts, and then it becomes harder for them because it progresses so rapidly or so slowly that it's hard to see from, especially from the outside, but I think they know it before we know it. Yeah, it's very, it, you feel, well, I did, I think a lot of caregivers do, you feel helpless because you're mm -hmm. watching your loved one progress, hallucinations, sundowning, and it's sad. It is sad. And to keep your sanity in an insane situation is, is tough. Yeah. Uh, and I want to encourage people listening to this. Learn about hallucinations and sundowning. Save yourself the stress. Do not argue with your loved one. 
go with it. They think it's real. You're only going to cause more problems by arguing. I went right along. I told my uh, Josh, our, our son, go right along with the hallucination. My husband always saw people in the house. Oh. Always saw people. And he would be afraid for my safety. Don't go over there, Betsy. There's men over there. I go, okay, Matt. I won't go over there. Um, he would think people were hitting him in the head. He told me one time someone had a stick and put the stick in his head. And I said, oh, I'm sorry that happened. I'm going to kick these people out. You just have to go with the flow. They often say, I want to go home. I want to go home. Sometimes they're referring to their childhood home. Matt was in his childhood home. And I would say, Matt, okay, I'll take you home after breakfast. Then he would forget. Or I'd say it's raining out. You know I don't drive in the rain. Or it's nighttime. Um, and I would divert him. But I wasn't going to say, you are home. Don't you know that? Don't say that. It's the worst thing to say. <coughs> or I asked them. What are you looking for? What's your home like? And when they start seeing dead people, as Matt started to see dead people, please don't tell them they're, they're already dead. Oh, don't dear. aggravate that person. I, you know, because they're getting ready to go. And when Matt saw his mom and his dad and his brother, I'd say, oh, that's nice they came to visit you. Did you have a good visit? How's your mom doing? Tell her I said hi. Or, you know, how's your dad? Or how's Mike? And it comforted him. You know, I'm not, don't cause more problems for yourself and your loved one than what there are. And a lot of times caregivers, you know, get in their own way. And even white lie if you have to. They ask where their spouse was who's been dead or their parent. Just say they went for a walk. It's okay. And I'm sure they're coming back later. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anything to, you know, get them a away from their uh, hallucination. Their thinking. Yeah. My mm -hmm. sister ha is an artist um, and she's done quite a few facilities in the this British Columbia area. Um, where in the Alzheimer homes and dementia, she'll paint floor to ceiling visuals of covering up those big hospital doors so that patients don't feel like they need to get out. So she paints uh, shelves, like old shelving going across from floor to ceiling. So it, it encompasses all of the wall and the doorways. So they'll stand instead, they'll actually stand at the bookcases that they think that are there and look at the doll and think that's what they grew up with or look at the little train that she drew on the shelf or look at the books that are on the shelf or whatever it might be. And it's all pretend, but to them, it, it means everything because now they're not trying to get out of the door. They're not trying to leave because they can't see the door. The door handle actually looks like part of the shelf. So cool. 
Yeah, so it's very visual floor to ceiling, and it just looks like it's part of the whole space, like someone built bookcases in the wall. And she puts some um, dolls and old books and trains and and anything that the facility wants painted on there, she does. But it's very interesting to see how the patients change their view, just like what you said. You go with the flow and and they'll stand there and they'll say, I had that doll. I loved that doll. Or my sister had that doll. Or, you know, it just, um, it changes their whole attitude. And it's, yeah. it's really lovely to see. Yeah, I really learned a lot in Matt's journey. And I really uh, thank God for Matt's journey which I wasn't so thankful for 10, 11 years ago. But I see that it brought me to where I am today. And if it wasn't for Matt's journey, there would be no chatting with Betsy. There would be no kick Alzheimer's ass movement. It's because of Matt. Right. That, um, that I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm you know paying it forward. And my mission, my vision, Tina, is to help caregivers and to um, give them resources, give them a place to vent uh, yeah. in my group and uh, be educated. And my, my podcast, I do cover a variety of topics. It's not all about caregiving, but I want people to have the resources that I didn't know about. Right. And I want people to learn from my mistakes, not that I'm uh, an expert because I'm not, but so they don't make the same mistakes that I made, but there is no perfect caregiver. I want caregivers to know that um, they're because we're not perfect. And I always say, if you think you are the perfect caregiver, give me a call. I'm an <laughs> well, I would have, I would have said something different. I would have said <laughs> then call me in a year and let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the hardest job of uh, what word would come to mind about the caregiving job for you? What word do you think would be the hardest that you had to overcome in your journey? I know what mine would be. The hardest was to watch Matt die. My um, word would be would would be patience because I think the the inner struggle of patience would be so difficult to a mm -hmm. waiting the unknown, what to say, what to do, what to do when, how to do it, what's right, what's wrong. Oh my gosh, I think patience would be the hardest job. It's challenging. <laughs> I lost my patience uh, many times because I was working, uh, not having enough sleep, literally running on adrenaline fumes. And yeah, you're going to lose your patience. And of course, you know, you get upset about it. You can't you beat yourself up, you know, no. uh, if you're a caregiver hearing this, you're doing the best you can. 
and that's all that you could do, but get help. Don't do it alone. Get the help. And if you want to know where to get help, it might depend on what country you're in, because um, it's different between Canada and the U.S. But if you're in the U.S., you know, your Alzheimer's Association, your local county office of aging, even your, um, we have a senior centers right. that you can uh, call up and they can refer you to uh, agencies. Uh, there is a lot of help out there. And I would also get somebody, if I knew about this, I would have done this, to help you navigate. Either you're going to place your loved one or navigate the hospice process. Pay somebody. If you had the money, pay somebody to do that for you. It would save you a ton of stress. I, I it's one thing I wish that I did that I tell people to do. Start looking into hospices um, early and so you can get someone to help you. And I you think, know, I think in the early them. stages as well, mm -hmm. just thinking, not thinking that you can take on this huge job um, full time 24 seven is asking a lot of one person. So I, I think that by in the very early stages, by reaching out and finding perhaps someone that's that can help you out part time um, to be able to give you a chance to live a somewhat normal life to do what's best for you in those yes. would be that's also it. helpful. Yes. With my mother-in-law. And this is back in. This is 2021 now. I'm going to say 2001, 2002. My mother-in-law uh, was able to get a grant for um, three days in a um, daycare. Or she could have had an aid for three days. Oh. But what it took for my husband to do that paperwork. Phew. <laughs> you know how some men are. <laughs> a lot of sick syndrome, um, but she qualified because it is expensive. Daycare for adults is expensive, just like with children, uh, probably more so expensive. Back then, it was $140 a day. That was back 2001, 2002. Yeah. I can't even imagine what it must be now. So find out about grants. Find out about what your county offers you. Now they may not be doing in-home uh, visits because of COVID, but they might be still doing uh, phone calls. You know, you, you have this is where you have to step up to the plate and do the stuff. Or if you can't, then hire someone who will do it for you. There's um, nurse managers. There's geriatric nurse managers who will do that. So we'll do that for you. <laughs> Excuse me. What so, would you, um, I think that's great information because I think people need to realize that they're not in this by themselves as much as you think you are capable of doing it yourself. A hundred 
90% of the time, you are not. So if you can come to that realization and have that break for a half a day in the week or or a few hours in the week or a few times in the week or whatever that looks like, whatever you can afford, whatever you can find support for, I think it would help your mind if it just means going for a walk by yourself or going to meet friends or whatever that looks like for you. Yes. And I say, well, Matt took 15 months today. Caregiving took a lot out of me. I'm still recuperating. And yeah. thankfully, I have to be the only person grateful uh, for COVID at home. Um, thankfully, I was able to rest because COVID happened and uh, my preschool was closed. But I'm still recuperating. And thankfully, I came out with my health pretty much intact. I do have some health issues, but basically I'm in good shape compared to a lot of other caregivers. And I just, um, I believe in God. So I, I just want to thank God, give him the glory for seeing me through and giving me yeah. the strength to take care of Matt. That's beautiful. Um, what would you say to the listeners today to end the po this podcast, the show? What would you want to tell them to finish? I would tell caregivers, you can not just survive, you can thrive during caregivers. Um, and you can survive. I'm an I'm an example. I not just survived, I thrived in caregiving. And you can do it. If I can, you can. You can do it. Awesome. You bleeped out a few so times much. there, but yeah, the internet, sorry oh. listeners, the internet goes in and out on us. I I the the lovely version of technology these days sometimes <laughs> is not our best friend. But well, thank you. Thank you, Betsy. I appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate you. your honesty and your truth. And I know I can have you on the show again, because there's way more to say. There's, we, we could talk about this all day long. Uh, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you know, thank you so much. Tina. Oh, you're very welcome. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to end it with Carol Burnett, which I always do in my podcasts. And I also will keep you on. So I'll, uh, when I end the show, you'll still be on here for me to talk to after. So stay, so stay tuned. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Oh, you're welcome. I, I hope everyone enjoyed Betsy and all of her information that she has for us. Um, you may not, you know, I want to tell everyone you sometimes need to prepare for the unexpected. You don't know what will happen in the literally in the blink of an eye. Your life can change in front of you, whatever that might look like for you. It might be um, not personally, it might be your friend or your parents or your spouse or your kids and, and your life can change.
So prepare for the unexpected. Um, you'll wonder how to be prepared. That's where your backup plan app and the emerging blueprint that we have coming down the line, the membership guide will help you manage all of these storms in your life. You not, may not be able to stop emergencies such as this from happening, but you'll have a great plan to get through it. And you'll be more able to move through this like Betsy, and you'll be, be able to be more present with that person that you need to be there for. That's my whole thing about your backup plan is being present. Um, you know, Brene Brown says everyone has a story that will bring you to your knees and be the survive and be the survival guide for someone else. And what will your story be? Um, this lesson before emergency is planning. Um, and I know Betsy has been telling us all to do that. So I'm so thankful for Betsy trying to get the word out there to do this planning. There's so much of the planning that we can do that we don't realize that um, is, is actually easier than what we thought. So I hope everyone got some tips and tricks from Betsy, our, our podcast and our show today. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate each and every one of you. Um, I'm going to end our show with Carol Burnett because I love her and I believe that she gave us all light um, in the deepest, darkest times. Um, I'm so glad we had this time together. Just to have a laugh or sing a song seems we just get started and before you know it comes a time we have to say so long. So thank you again, listeners. Thank you, Betsy, for all of your tips and tricks today. So, so very grateful. You. So very grateful. Thanks, everybody.